Welcome to the Data for Disaster Risk Reduction podcast series. This series is a reflection on the systematic use of data for handling the disasters and effective decisions for post-disaster recovery. It focuses on the role of data at each stage of the disaster management cycle that are mitigation, preparedness, response, and recovery. This podcast series would be offering examples of various disasters and the timely decisions taken to reduce the impact of the disaster and minimize the losses. This series is brought to you jointly by CoData, Tomkin and Taylor, and Center for Applied Geomatics, SEPT Research and Development Foundation. Via this series, we bring to you reflections on the interdisciplinary approaches and the innovative use of data taken by various cities for disaster risk reduction, offering examples of good practices and lessons learned. This is Shelly Gandhi from SEPT Research and Development Foundation. Today, we bring to you an episode on coordination and data management for response to recovery. In this episode, we have Yen Wang, Data Stewardship Coordinator at Delft University of Technology in the Netherlands with Bapon Fakruzin, Technical Director Token and Taylor from New Zealand. I welcome you both on this episode and I'm looking forward for a very engaging discussion on the data management for disaster risk reduction, starting from response to recovery. Thank you, Shell. It's just a great honor to be here today together with the Yen Wang. So we like to discuss a little bit more today on the coordination and data management for a disaster response to recovery. I mean, if you look at globally, I have a quite challenging effort to effective coordination as well as uh, transition between the response to recovery, which gives serious complexity on our proper management, lack of resources, financial, as well as human resources, as well as going back to build back better or going back to our normal situation quite a delay once you don't able to understand or decide when you actually want to cut off your overall response time and when you want to go for a a recovery phase from the response phase due to the coordination, interagency collaboration and data to feed evidence-based understanding about the risk and response operation. Wang, you have worked on data stewardship quite a long time. What is your opinion on these things, especially on the data coordination and management? What do you think about uh, what kind of agreement we need to be put together or how flexible actually we need to be have the process? A pleasure to be here. I think disaster response is a very unique subject, context, uh, also in terms of data management and coordination. It is very has a lot of unique characteristics, which very different from the general data management coordination or in other normal or domains. Time is really an essential issue in disaster response. So a lot of uh, teams, when they are doing response in the disastrous situations, which happens often in a remote region and teams are often assembled on the spot and they need to get, get familiar with the situation and they need to get an understanding also each other within the team because often organizations, uh, different organizations, they respond to the call and they uh, arrive at location and they start to really build up the response organization and then collecting data and information and make the timely decision. So they have a lot of things to process at the same time. Disaster is happening and people are risking their lives. So they really face different types of pressure due to the limited time they have. And that really put great challenges, data management and coordination. Usually when we talk about data 
data management, it is more kind of a long-term process. You establish your data management protocol process, and then you prepare a lot, establish different mechanisms and have the facilities in place. But that's definitely not the case in a disaster response situation. That's very, put very much different challenges for the teams facing in the field. And especially those teams, they are professional responders. They are, youth, they are trained, they are prepared, uh, of course, but they are prepared and trained for operations to save lives, to really rescue and search and rescue, for example. That's the very common type of expertise in disaster response. They are not, nowadays, they are much better also trained with information data management, but that's not really in the essential nature of their profession. Yeah. So they also need to get to learn new things on the job, in the scene, and usually also with the time pressure, with the dynamics in the components, and also to handle more and more information. Because nowadays, we really have a lot of technology available, uh, also applied into disaster management, this field. A lot of also NGOs, they are specialized in information technology, like creating maps. That's the very uh, common uh, type of data or information technology applied in disaster response field. And those organizations need to collaborate with the traditional or the more the core operational capacity in the disaster response. So how to establish that collaboration within short time and how to successfully and completely transfer the knowledge and uh, information and the data across these kind of different teams. That's also definitely a challenge. So there are a lot. As a, for researchers, it's very interesting to, to study, but I can imagine for practitioners, this is definitely a new challenge. Maybe not all of them realize this, but definitely attracts more and more attention and focus. Yeah, you rightly mentioned, I mean, that when there is a disaster happening, it's actually quite complex scenario, complex situation. Everything is evolving at one dimension to a multiple dimension, and it, the situation is quite chaotic. And unless actually you don't have a proper centralized database or a systematic data storage mechanism, it's quite hard for any organization, any professionals to work in that kind of you know, complex situation where their emotional response they need to serve their country and community quite challenging. And with that perspective, I think some of the lessons that we learned, especially on the data collection process, engagement with other organizations, how they make a bit of proactive role in the normal situation rather than the reactive role when there's a disaster happen. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges still remains all these developing and developed countries like start responding when we start facing the problem, not thinking ahead what is coming and how we can actually prepare our so in in that perspective how do you think that and also i mean uh, some of the things that you're promoting on the, on the fairness principle on the data is how do you see that the mechanism could evolve in the future to enhance this kind of pre-impact scenario development or more systematic understanding of the risk into their area and how that could be progressively help them to better build on all this dynamics data, feed into the same systems, understanding the scenario and response proper timely manner. I think there are already quite some good practices in the field of disaster management, also humanitarian aid. For example, the UN Humanitarian Data Exchange, that's a very active, although not huge, but very active and a competent team. They have data platform for sharing and archiving, depositing humanitarian baseline data 
countries and also in especially recent years, every time there's a major disaster happen, there are always available data sets there. So that's definitely should be better used. And I think they are very compliant with the FAIR principle, actually. Their data sets are very open and findable and reusable and in a very interoperable format. And they're also very active promoting the usage of their form and they are collaborating with many teams, with local teams as well. Uh, so that's definitely one example of many organizations or teams, they can potentially establish partnership or collaborate with them. And I think another one is, I like you mentioned about really the preparedness, which has already received a lot of intention, sorry, attention and recognition by many response teams, but maybe they can expand their preparedness scope, including data management, basic trainings, like how do you handle basic data, be aware of potential issues, because in this field, although people always saying like, yeah, you want to really comply with all the regulations or you want to save a life. That's kind of a very valid excuse, but still people can become more awareness in terms of the responsibility they have when they handle the data. So be aware of the vulnerable group, be aware of sensitive data they are processing and choose to use a better tool. So this kind of preparation they can do, they just need to remember this when they are facing very stressful situations. So that's definitely a type of training they should continue doing. And I think in general, in if I look at, although I'm not really a historian regarding disaster management, but just looking at the trends within recent years, there is definitely more and more IT component, information, a data component in disaster response. And so there is definitely more and more people would like to contribute. So making use of those either volunteers or professional organizations and really having some agreement or partnership or collaboration, even just the initiative in advance and have the being willingness to open up for such collaboration is also very, would be helpful in long term. Maybe not immediately seeing the impact in this disaster or in this crisis, but definitely it's built up. It's uh, the benefit will be accumulated. And especially when we talk about from response phase to recovery phase, that's also a very big challenge when just talking about data management coordination during the response phase, because whatever nice things you build up in the response phase, it might be likely you will lose them during the recovery phase because the time frame is very different. Response phase is really everything happens so fast, but that's also often the phase attracts most attention. And when it's a progress to recovery, it usually takes a years long time and people start to lose attention. No one is passionate about one thing for that many years, especially for mass population or the public attention. So how can we keep up the nice things build up during the response phase to recovery phase, especially those database with they set up and the precious data they collected. So that's another challenge. And that's definitely will be if there is a over if we can overcome that challenge, that will also contribute a lot in the future. Yeah, I mean the reason actually we bring this uh, data as a first discussion topics because it's like the main fuel for the running the engine mm -hmm. or it could be like a considered as a blood as a human body actually without it we cannot operate mm -hmm. and other than the data or integrated data centralized data whatever we want to say the one of the major things that especially on the response is required a more integrated and unified response you know capability mm -hmm. and that which we normally go through like incident command system command and control system or incident by management and that also required a lot of training hours and hours training 
training to be trained themselves as a commander, as an operation chief, as a logistic chiefs, planning and finance, so that because everyone needs to be work integrated manner with their skill set to support their community. The other aspect is quite important, which is like a transparency and communication system. Because as a leader, if you're not able to communicate what is really the right information, what is really they need to do in the right time, because time is ticking, then it would be very complex. It will be create some more, you know, the complex scenario with underconfidence with their leader. But having support those kind of activities is again with the using a centralized and understanding about the proper data that who are your skills with which kind of skill set, who will be your search and rescue and who will be your over the medical support. You need to have those kind of database quite strongly listed or systematically listed. Otherwise, it would be very difficult to find those people even in that kind of time frame. And then that need to be obviously supported by the proper guidelines as well as policy or institutional legislative environment within the organization as you just mentioned. You also touch one interesting aspect, which is like a digital twin aspect. So so what, what do you think that how this digital twin could also assist us, especially to looking forward into our data management plan or long-term strategy, do you think? So digital twin is also a new concept recently, and uh, indeed not just in disaster management field, but also in other fields. It is still ongoing topic, uh, my understanding to my knowledge. There are definitely a lot of potential there in digital twin. One example could be like, this, that's a very, that's a completely simulated environment. So you can do definitely a lot of exercise, simulation, and experiment, training, and that really gives a great opportunity and the room and to fail and, and to try new things out. And so that's definitely one of the biggest advantage. But that also depends really on the field, how you apply digital training, because that's people can interpret digital training into many different ways. It can be just a digital model and can also be environment, can also be other type way uh, format of application. So I think there's definitely a potential. It's like it's very common to do simulation exercise in disaster management and people, professionals, they really bring their equipment and they do like a long-term large-scale field exercise. They really simulate every details, almost every details as the real disaster happens and they train the cooperation response and collaboration. Collaboration. So that and nowadays, since COVID hit, some of those extra field exercises start move to online. So that's a kind of digital environment and it limits the way they can train, but it also opens up a different ways and room for training. So I think digital environment, digital training can have similar potential and approach to train people. And for example, handle how you handle so much different information resources and the amount of huge amount of data that's very easily populated in a digital environment and which can represent actually the reality. Thanks. And thanks a lot. I you can cover quite a lot of aspects and other than this i think we also need to be quite strongly emphasize how we train up our community because they are the first responder for any disaster response so that they can actually get trained or how we can enhance the voluntary mechanism because some of the country like india bangladesh and other country we see that red crossing a tremendous excellent job using their volunteers so how we can motivate those volunteers how we can create billions of volunteers into our proportionate volunteers into countries so that they are 
are act like a champion in their society to support their community, enhancing their resilience. That could be one we can actually think about, especially if you look at in the IT sector, there is a one common aspect. They think that they need to make billions of talent because your IT is so dynamic, like people working in the semiconductor fields, people working on the equipment. It's, your technology is changing overnight because of you have like thousands of billions of talents working on that particular field. So how actually we learn from them, bring those kind of aspects into the disaster reduction and how we enhance our recovery and make sure that we are able to make an agile community with a build back better concept. It's not just, you know, build back from where your disaster happened. It's make sure that people are more cohesive, people are more resistant, people are more understanding their hazard, their exposure and vulnerability, and they're able to take those kind of action that need to be done for every hazardous. I yeah. think, yeah. I really can't agree more, actually, this uh, aspect to enabling the volunteers and also especially the local communities. And I think they are really the ones who have the knowledge, information of their situation. And they really, if you enable them and they feel the ownership of the of uh, providing the information, of uh, curating the information and reusing the information that really creates a bridge from re response phase to recovery. And also, the in, indeed, we nowadays really impressed the power of volunteers globally. Like when there is a disaster take place, I shouldn't say it in a cheerful way, but when there is a disaster taking place and there's digital volunteers around the world, they help mapping information, creating the maps, and also offering like different IT uh, support and uh, technical support. And it's 24 seven, it's a literally 24 seven support around the globe. And that's yeah. really nice and very motivating initiative and things to see. Thanks, thanks a lot, Ian. And I think it's um, quite fascinating that if you could enable our graduates, our young generation to motivate it in this particular field to learn uh, into disaster risk reduction and extreme weather or climate change and how they could actually devote themselves to enhance our community more resilience. And at the same time, so we need to also emphasize that our government as well as donor community better understand with the proper plan that exists within the country that how they can ensure quite shortage response time and less recovery time so that there is a proper balance between the preparedness response and recovery and people can go back to their normal life. I think with that things I'd like to just hand over to Shelly. Thanks for inviting us for this interesting topics and it's been a pleasure to join with you in this journey. Thank you very much. Thank you Bapon. Thank you again. So it's extremely important to understand the data stewardship when you talk about big data sets, especially when we are talking about the data sets coming from disaster risk reduction. And that's where the conversation was so interesting and engaging that we couldn't put our ears off. And the points brought out in the conversation are extremely important. The technology is moving at a very fast pace and we need the workforce ready to adapt these technologies. And who better than the citizens can respond during the disaster? It is extremely important to have the volunteers involved in the process and it would be very enlightening for them to use the special the technology which helps them map their locations and get the services at the real time which is something where the government is looking into but uh, we would with this episode put forward a suggestion that it's even more important to take early warning steps in regards to their developing the workforce and training the young generation than just focusing on enhancing the technology so thank you everyone and I hope to see you all again in the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode from the Data for Disaster Risk Reduction podcast series. If you like our podcast and want to know more about the series, check out our website www.crgf.org.
and follow us on social media. Please leave a review and like and share wherever you listen to the podcast. <laughs>